This is the Wildly Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Luke. And I'm Holly. Through the conversations we're having on this podcast, we're seeking to connect with what Wildly Wellbeing means, and by listening today, you're joining the conversation. Today, believe it or not, it's already the last interview episode of season three. Good grief, the time has flown. Hold back your tears. Wondered what you were going to say then. But we're really excited to bring you a conversation today with Priya from Bloomtown, a company that I have discovered and love. But I will leave all of that for the conversation. And at the end of the conversation, we have a special little treat for you. So make sure you stick around to the end. Hello, Priya. Hello. Hi, Priya. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. I'm very excited to be here. Welcome to the Worldly Wellbeing Podcast. It's (laughs) great to have you with us. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time out from your storage cupboard, which we're quite excited about. We've never come live from where the magic is happening. Yes. Well, there's not a lot of magic in here, to be honest, just actually quite a lot of soap um, around me. So it's a very, a very fragrant storage cupboard. Oh, I can just imagine. So on that note, Pri, would you like to introduce yourself and your business just so people know who you are and what you're doing? Sure. So my name is Priya Kalmer, and my husband and I have a business called Bloomtown, which we started in 2016 out of our kitchen here in Cornwall. And as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm not originally from Cornwall, but my husband is. And we actually met while we were both living overseas. We were living in Asia. I had been teaching in India and he was a diving instructor in Thailand. And we met while I was on holiday and wanting to learn how to scuba dive. And he was my diving instructor, actually. Um, And so we met, yep, that was, um, gosh, let's see, eight, nine years ago now. And um, while we were living overseas, I came across um, some information on palm oil through my students, actually. Um, I was an English teacher teaching literature. And um, it started to become sort of more and more of an issue that was brought up by my students. Um, They were very concerned about what was happening in terms of deforestation and loss of animal habitats. And I've always been really interested in making products at home just for my own use. So I was making, learning how to make soap. And um, because of this information that came to me through my students, I decided that I wanted to make palm oil free soap. And then it kind of went from there where I became sort of obsessed with soap making and then wanted to make other, we, we had decided, my husband and I decided, let's just, you know, never buy anything with palm oil again. Cause we didn't like the impact, the, the idea that it was, you know, contributing to deforestation, but we quickly realized that actually weeding it out from our lives is really difficult because so much of our, you know, um, so many of the products that we were buying has palm oil in, in sort of minute amounts um, or in, in varying amounts and often disguised under so many names that we, you know, at the time were not even really familiar with all of them. So we found it quite tricky to remove it from our lives. So we thought, well, let's, you know, really look into developing our own products that we know are 100% palm oil free. And let's even go a step further and, um, start a company that's really based on that ethos and get certified. Um, And it turns out that we're actually the first company in the UK to 
have Pomelo cert- free certification. So that really, it's really where it all started and, and um, where our passion is, is to really look at how we can source our ingredients sustainably. I should probably clarify that we don't just make soap anymore. We make um, all sorts of products. We make everything from, you know, um, bath salts and face masks, uh, body oils, uh, lots of different products. <laughs> well, I guess, first of all, like congratulations on being the first company in the UK, yeah. which is a great achievement. And on the other hand, there's a kind of sense of how, mm. how are we not switched on enough? How... Has it taken this long um, for some great people like you to come along and do that? Um, so kind of a mixed bag in that sense. Yeah, that is so true. I think I've seen in the last five years since we launched, um, there's been a huge um, you know, increase in awareness. And I think that now, now you do see um, smaller companies, especially who are just starting out. It's a lot easier before you have a product range to formulate without palm oil, especially um, products like soap. It's very tricky if you've already launched, you know, a huge range of products that are all palm derived, you know, have palm derived ingredients to then go back and try to, you know, reformulate everything. So I think it's a very slow process for the bigger companies, but I see lots of smaller businesses doing that now, which is great. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, you uh, kind of hinted at this earlier, but consumers are becoming more aware of the issues related to palm oil and i think that's for a number of reasons but not least because of documentaries like david attenborough the kind of material that he produces and highlighting what happens when deforestation occurs um Mm. and then also just kind of anecdotally i started to become more familiar with the harm that was being caused by when i started realizing there was there were two different types of peanut butter i could get one that has palm oil in and one that doesn't have palm oil. And I started asking the question, well, what is the difference then? Why, why, what is palm oil? Um, yeah. And it wasn't until I, I kind of n- noticed on products saying palm oil free or no, no, no derivative products or anything like that, that I began to ask the question myself. So there's kind of a, a consumer education piece there as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that is so true. And we've really tried to offer as much information to our, our customers as possible, because what we don't want to do is, you know, be involved in greenwashing either, mm. where we're just sort of, you know, people jump on the bandwagon and it's not really, it does it ceases to have any real meaning anymore. Is It's sort of like a catchphrase. And for us, you know, we often get asked, for example, you know, what about sustainable palm oil and why don't you use sustainable palm oil? And our take on it is that you know, palm oil free has to be part of the sustainability equation because demand is always increasing for raw materials. So what we need to do is sort of decrease overall demand. And that means offering consumers palm oil free options. That doesn't mean that we're saying that palm oil is going to suddenly, you know, um, go away or, you know, there's also the argument that it's a high yield crop. And so some people will say, well, if you don't use palm oil, then other lower yields crops will be favored. I think what our philosophy is that, you know, palm oil specifically and many other tropical crops are planted in very eco-sensitive regions um, that tend to be sort of equatorial and have a certain temperature range that are, you know, is favored. And these often tend to coincide with really, um, uh, you know, rich animal uh, habitats. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, 
you could have a lower yield crop that's grown in a less ecologically sensitive region. And that's probably environmentally um, more favorable, I think. So I think, you know, it's, we, we work closely with organizations like the Orangutan Project and the Orangutan Alliance to try to look at the data and not just, you know, sell more products by having this logo on our, you know, it's, it really is something that we try to carefully look at the, um, the evidence to make our decisions. I guess that's the the nature of nature, that nature is so wonderful, but so complex that Luke and I have sometimes discussed this, that we feel like we can almost get stressed out that what is the best option? And, you know, we've seen this with discussions about soy milk or almond milk or oat milk or dairy milk. And, you know, you can get yourself in a right tiz. Um, mm. And what it sounds like, which I really um, love, is that you guys aren't just saying no palm oil is better. You know, you're you're looking into that and you're researching that. And um, I noticed I've bought a few products myself. Um, I love how in the packaging um, they've got the little you've got a little note card talking specifically oh, right. about um, orangutan projects and the palm oil free. Um, mm. And I'm just wondering, this might sound like a simple question, but is it easy to just eliminate palm oil? No. <laughs> um, I mean, actually, I would say that for some products, it really is very easy because you could formulate it quite successfully without palm oil, like, for example, bar soaps that I make. Um, I started off, as I said, as a soap maker and making cold process soap. So basically mixing different oils with um a substance called lye, which converts it into soap molecules. And I actually taught soap making for many years too, which mm. was a lot of fun. And, you know, you could, instead of palm oil, palm oil is used in soap making because it adds a lot of bubbles like lather and makes a harder, firmer bar that lasts a long time. So people will often turn to palm oil because it's cheap as well. It's one of the cheapest oils on the market. That's why often like uh, fish and chip places will use palm oil because it's a very affordable oil to cook in. And, um, but for example, you know, you could use coconut oil and shea butter and those combined have a similar, uh, lather and, um, hardness that they, they contribute to the final soap bar. So that's what I do instead of using palm oil. It is a little bit more expensive, but for us, you know, our customers care about the way it feels, the way it smells, and they want a high quality product. So they're willing to pay a little bit more for something that they know is ethical as well. And that doesn't contribute to any, um, you know, deforestation. In this case, I, I just want to say one note about sustainable palm oil is that there's still a lot of um, controversy over what constitutes sustainable in palm oil because um, the organization that regulates sustainability is called the RSPO, the Roundtable for Sustainable Palm Oil. And it is made up of the corporations that are the highest consumers of palm oil in the world, like Unilever, for example. So it would be, you know, and Nestle and, and many others. So it's sort of like the fox being char in charge of the hen house a little bit. So there's been a lot of reports that actually some of the plantations that are certified sustainable are um, using unsustainable practices like burning down 
uh, virgin forests. So I think that that's why also we avoid it altogether because why use it in a product like soap if it's not necessary and we can't guarantee that it is sustainable and it and it makes no difference. In fact, I think it's a superior product without it. But where it gets a bit difficult is with emulsifiers. So for example, all the creams and lotions and things like that that you might have in your in your bathroom. Um, these contain minute ingredients called emulsifiers, and they're often derived from palm oil. And the problem with these ingredients is that they're really, their manufacturers make them um, as sort of consistently as possible so that they can work in many different formulations. And they tend not to have many very variations. So you can't get one that's derived from olive and one, they're all derived from palm oil because it's cheap. So when we're trying to formulate products without palm oil, that's where it gets really tricky. We have to do a lot of testing. We have to source from these really sort of um, niche uh, ingredients manufacturers who are working on sustainability as more of a priority. So that's where it becomes difficult. And um, yeah, I'd say that's where most of our challenge lies is, is sourcing these more sustainable ingredients for complex products like creams. It sounds like it's been uh, quite a journey then going from setting up shop in your kitchen through to having five years later uh, somewhere that's not your kitchen um, to work from. And the process and the, the journey that you've got to sounds like there's been the potential for complications on the way, you know, and figuring things out and, you know, what's working, what isn't working. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that experience of going from, we've got this idea and we really want to make a change. We want to make an impact and we're going to start in our kitchen. <laughs> and <laughs> five years later, suddenly you're a business. But I, I think there might be some more in between there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, I would say that most of our growth and sort of expansion took place in the first year or so. Um, we moved out of our kitchen very quickly. <laughs> we were only there for about six months. And then we started selling on a site called Not on the High Street, which um, you might have heard of. They do a lot of gifting. And our palm oil-free gift sets were really popular right off the bat. So we decided to find a, a facility that, you know, a unit, an industrial unit, essentially, that we could work out of. And that's a little bit more... Um, you know, where we could have actually have employees uh, help us with production and packing of orders and things like that. So I'd say in that first year is where we really made the leap from just, you know, our friends and family buying our products to getting onto platform, you know, platforms that are a little bit more professional, I suppose you would say. I think that I always had this um, idea that whatever I would do, I would do it really professionally from the beginning. So even when I was just doing 10 sugar scrubs in a batch, I had all the labels, you know, with the barcodes on them. I made sure to have everything uh, certified through a, an independent lab so that it was, you know, um, had all the, the necessary documentation to make sure that it was safe for use. And I think that really helped us grow because when I, you know, was approached by companies like Monsoon or Anthropology or National Trust, RHS, and they said, you know, are your products retail ready? Even though we were very small, I could send them all the documentation. And I always say to small businesses and creative businesses who are starting out, especially product-based businesses, no matter how small you are, just try to do everything correctly from the beginning because it's a lot easier than having to try to go back and fix mistakes. And not to say we haven't made any, by the way, we have made a lot, but... Um, 
it really helps to sort of have all your ducks in a row to to begin with. Mm. And it's a really sort of symbolic way of projecting your passion and your belief in that product to know that it will get bigger. I'm sure there were Mm. moments when you weren't sure about that, but I love that you were prepared for people to catch on as well. That is such a wonderful point, Holly. I really agree with that. I think that's such a key sort of um, thing in any area of your life is just to to really put your belief in it and put your, you know, make sure your vision um, is there from the beginning and don't sort of, I mean, obviously you have to second guess some things. You don't want to just rush out there with something that's not well thought out. You def- definitely want to measure it twice. But I think that if you don't believe in it, it's going to show. It's going to show in many different ways. You know what you're, sec- you know you're, you're sort of hedging your bets, if you will, and that um, comes through in in every you know aspect. So I would say that that's that is a, a something that I live by. Is just like you know when you do when you think it out, when you um, pour your passion into it, you know you've got to really project that to to the world. Otherwise, if you don't believe in yourself, who who's going to believe in you? Absolutely. Now, from that initial inspiration and passion you've got these beautiful products and um, I really encourage anyone who's listening to go and have a look at your website and order what I really um, from the beginning my friend actually discovered you I've got a little whatsapp group of some girlfriends and we're always trying to uh, recommend and find the most environmentally friendly the most ethical kind of products across the range and sometimes it's unsexy stuff like oh how do you clean your kitchen floor mm-hmm. um, to the more fun stuff like makeup um, and toiletries. And when my friend sent me through, I think it must've been your Instagram. I just was really captured by, I love your packaging. I just think it's, I don't know what it is. I just feel like I connect with it. Hmm. <laughs> well, that's really nice of you to say, because actually um, I designed it all myself and I didn't have any design background when I started. And my husband said, if you want to do this, you're going to have to do it yourself because we can't afford to pay anyone to do it. So that makes me really happy that you like it. <laughs> Please pass that on to your husband. That, okay. you know, I'm pleased he said that to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Just thinking of like what Holly was saying and and what you were saying a little earlier, Priya, around uh, consumers and kind of word of mouth is so important in spreading uh, knowledge and Mm -hmm. insight and, you know, product tips and all of that kind of thing. Um, But just before we got started today, Holly and I were were just kind of having a quick chat around um, the accessibility of products that have a cruelty-free credential or are vegan or are palm oil free or are, you know, they don't try and dodge their taxes, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and often then the cost of that is is in, the consumer picks up the cost because when things are equitably traded, uh, they're more expensive. Like mm-hmm. you know, fair trade chocolate is an example we've used on the podcast before. It is fractionally more expensive, but you're doing that because it, you know, it's benefiting the person that's growing the cocoa, that's farming it, et cetera. Uh, mm-hmm. But sometimes one of the kind of that that turns people away from making the leap into more ethical products is the price point. Um, and I wonder how we can encourage people to to start considering how they can start making incremental changes in their shopping habits. Oh, that's such a, you know, that I really, really appreciate that question because it is something that we have struggled with too, you know, um, we 
we struggle to compete on price with some of the bigger brands that are um, owned by even bigger companies, you know, and they can buy their ingredients at a fraction of the price. They can buy their packaging at a fraction of the price that is, than we can. And, you know, it came up last year when we launched a hand sanitizer. Um, you know, we wanted to offer a really ethical and natural organic product. Um, but it was at a time where, you know, people were struggling to get a hold of the cheapest of cheap hand sanitizers. So we were struggling with ourselves to say, is this the right time to launch this? You know, should, but then we thought, you know, if we can't, cause nobody was buying the organic alcohol, they had mm -hmm. it in stock. You know, people were trying to get a hold of the cheap alcohol. We were able to buy the, the, the organic alcohol. And so we, you know, we obviously, um, we offered it as affordably as we could. We weren't making much of a profit on it. Um, and sometimes we do that when we're launching a new product, you know, we take a hit to try to make it sort of accessible. We also know that in the beginning, when you have, when you launch a product, you have smaller runs, you might be, your margins are less because you're not ordering as much packaging and ingredients. But as you scale up, you can then afford to buy bigger quantities. And that's what's happened for us is that while we did take more of a hit in the beginning with our pricing, um, we are able to now sort of make a living at it and actually, you know, pay our employees well and, and all of that. I'd say that, you know, some things that I've had some customers do, which I thought were really creative is, um, you know, um, where they share items. So they'll buy uh, they'll put in an order and they'll sort of divvy it up amongst each other and try different products, especially if you're trying a new brand that you've never um, tried before and you're not sure if you'll like it. You could um, share with somebody else, share with a friend, um, divide up, you know, if you have a soap bar, you know, cut it in half. And um, and that's something it sounds, you know, silly, but actually these are things that we do, too. We do we trade uh, with our friends too. We give them some of our products. They give us some of it. We have chocolate maker friends, by the way, here in Cornwall who oh. are direct. You would love them, by the way. That's a good, they're, okay. That's a good contact to have right now. Yes, they're wonderful. They're, they're direct trades. So they work, uh, their chocolate company helps fight poverty um, by ordering beans directly from Colombia and Ecuador. And they're wonderful people and lovely chocolate. So I think you should get in touch with them. Um, but yeah, we often do that with them. You know, we'll, we'll sort of put in a combined order for packaging um, so it's a little bit more affordable for both of us and um, we're also looking in uh, ways to scale up so we what we don't want to do is for our customers to pay the cost of inefficiency mm. um, so if you're hand filling a jar right that's going to cost a lot more than if we have a machine that with pedal operated that can fill it much faster. So we've invested and we actually want, uh, got a grant last year to buy some new equipment to help make the process of labeling and filling our products more, um, well, just to speed it up really. And because we've been able to do that, you know, we didn't have to raise our prices when our ingredients prices went up for big due to Brexit. So we were, you know, we were worried that we'd have to have to make our products even more expensive due to Brexit, but because we were able to offset that with um, better equipment, we actually were able to keep our prices uh, affordable. So yeah, it's all these things that come into play. And it's definitely something that we, you know, have to think about on a daily basis. Yeah. For sure, and you, you mentioned the B word there, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bring it up <laughs> any further, but because there's a whole different episode that we could mm. do on the implications of that particular yeah. chapter in our history. Uh, but I think that is really interesting for consumers to consider as well, particularly on the the independent and the the kind of the smaller end of businesses, the impact that that has had. 
um, and what that then means in turn for products that are trying to make an impact and trying to make a change. Um, so as consumers, I think we also need to bear that in mind that, that these things have had an impact. Yes, yes, and they do. And, you know, I think um, I think what I've noticed is that customers are really, really um, flexible and understanding. And they, they if you give them information, if you're transparent, if you, you know, in a way, wear your heart on your sleeve, tell them the truth, especially if you're a small business, you know, it just be really honest. When we were struggling with getting orders out on time because things were really up in the air with some of our suppliers, we just told our customers, we sent out an email saying, we're really sorry, we're trying our best. And they wrote back, you know, we had so many emails back saying, you know, you guys are do, you know, just take as much time as you need. We're mm. here for you. They will have your back as long as you you know, go out of your way to keep them informed and to respect, you know, your customer base. We never take them for granted because they're why we're here, you know, why we're able to to do what we do and do what we love, you know. Hmm. I guess yeah. it's that lovely thing both ways that for you as a business to feel like you're dealing with real people who appreciate it. And that kind of connection must be really encouraging for you. And the other way around as a consumer I think um, when you're able to, when you're privileged enough to be able to spend a little bit more on a, a small business, mm -hmm. um, it's not just the product that we're we're buying into. It's mm -hmm. the business, the people, and that real like personal and human connection. Like we're all people, we're all doing our best, and it's uh, that lovely feeling. I don't know if that you would sort of agree with that. Um, but that's as a consumer, how I feel when I find a new company, when I found you, when I went on your mm. Instagram, read your story online. Oh, it is so exciting. And I, you know, I never really understood that until now, obviously, you know, being a small business owner. Um, I come from a family of small business owners, actually, but I never really, you know, now when I, I love shopping with, from small businesses, you know, I buy, we have a, a hot sauce company nearby. We're always buying their chili sauce and we buy, and it's just such a fun thing to know that actually they are looking at their orders as they come in and they're excited and they actually get up <laughs> and they probably do a little happy dance and they post about it. And every time you leave a review, you know, reviews are so important for small businesses. And uh, we do get just really just disproportionately excited when we get a five-star review so when you do it you know somebody is reading it somebody is um paying attention and they you know, sometimes i'll be checking my you know i have my app shopify app on my phone and it'll be 8 p.m 9 p.m and i'll be you know a customer will write in and say oh uh you know can you tell me this and this and i can't help but reply i don't care what time it is you know and we we're always here we're always uh you know paying attention and, and really uh, welcoming and celebrating every, you know, opportunity like this too. You know, this is really important for us. And so thank you for, <laughs> for inviting me on as well. Yeah. Thank you, um, Priya. Thank you so much for taking the time um, out and for really sharing some of your story and about the business. Um, it's been really enjoyable and really informative as well. I feel like I've learned some stuff that I'm sure uh, listeners as well will really appreciate. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for your enthusiasm and for supporting small businesses and ethical businesses. Yeah, absolutely. So how do people find you and your products? And we'll put links in the show notes as well, but share how best it is to interact with Bloomtown and how, how to get their hands on their on your products. 
So our website is bloomtown.co.uk and our Instagram handle is at bloomtownuk. And we're probably best to find us on Instagram because that's where we spend most of our time. And just come visit our website, uh, come say hi. We're here, ready to meet you, ready to, to, to share some of our passion and products with you. Amazing. Well, yeah, we'll definitely put links to that in, in the show notes as well. Um, and thank you so much for your time today. It's been really wonderful to chat. Thank you. Yeah. Take care. You. Bye. Bye. So thank you again, Priya, for joining us today, uh, for braving the store cupboard, which I will be honest, looked a lot bigger than the cupboard I have at home. I really love that conversation because of Priya's enthusiasm. And I felt like it was a really brilliant way to wrap up the interviews that we've been having for season three. Across all of our guests, there's been just such passion and excitement and enthusiasm for the work that they're doing. And that was really captured in what Priya was talking about today. I just, I loved feeling that personal connection to a company. And that I think is something that we all really appreciate. We're learning more and more and brands and organizations are learning more and more the importance of connecting with the individual as well as groups of people that are like-minded and bloomtown definitely are smashing that ranging from their branding right through to the types of products that they're creating that customers are loving i mean honestly every day when i apply my deodorant in the morning i look at the packaging and it just brings me joy but talking of packaging and the products we're really excited and really grateful to priya for actually giving you guys a little gift. Lukey Babes, do you want to give us some details on that? Yes. So you lucky Wildly Wellbeing listeners are being treated to a discount code from the Bloomtown team. And this code gives you 20% off when you spend £20 or more. So all you have to do is when you're purchasing, enter the code Wellbeing20 and that will give you 20% off. So thank you very much, Bloomtown. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, and just a side note, it's also free postage. We hope that you enjoy the code, enjoy the products. We'd love to get your feedback as well. And please let me know if you get any joy being sparked when you look at the tins as well. Yep. And in the meantime, don't forget to engage with Boomtown as well on social media. Um, Their at is in the show notes. Speaking of social media, Holly, where can you be found? I can be found at RomeAwayFromHome underscores in between. And Luke. I am at LocomotionLuca. So we'll be back for the last episode of season three next week. It will be pure Luke and I. Prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves uh, for joy, revelry, and probably some outtakes as well. But in the meantime, as always, like and review, subscribe, spread the word, and we will see you or you will hear us next week. Okay, ciao for now. Ciao, ciao. Ciao.